Uh, I've been gone a couple weeks now, so it's so good to be back. I'm excited to be here. How about you? Yeah, yeah that's right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so good to be back. Uh, we are actually done with Acts, and we are starting this new series called Here for Good. Uh, if you know our story as a church, we launched just about four years ago at Weaver Lake Elementary School. We were there for two years or so, and then because of construction, we had to move schools. So we moved to Rice Lake Elementary, and we said, we'll stay there for a while. So we stayed there for a year, and then because of construction, we had to move to here, to this school. Well, now, for the first time, we are moving because we believe we are called to go to this school, to Osseo Senior High. We're so excited about that, but we're saying, we don't want to move again, so we're here for good, all right? Uh, but also, there is a kind of a play on words there, that we also believe that we are here for good. We are here to do good. When, when we were deciding what to call this church Mosaic, I told the story that I, I thought, man, let's do something with the word maple in it or something with the word grove in it, but there are already a lot of churches with those words in it. And so we said, well, what should we name this, this church? And Kristen reminded me that years ago, when we were at a church in Colorado, that the pastor and I, we would come up with this, what's a great metaphor for the church? Because we were doing this building campaign, we were meeting the school, we were going to build onto our land, and we said, man, mosaic, what a phenomenal uh, uh, illustration of what the church is called to be, that it's these broken pieces of clay pottery, that's what a mosaic is, and then the artist puts them together to form his work of art. And, and that's what we believe God is doing in our church. We're all imperfect. We're all broken. None of us have it all figured out, but we're slowly being made whole through Jesus, and God is putting us together to form his work of art. Amen? And, and one of our kind of main theme verses for that is, is this, uh, Ephesians 2.10. We've said this from, from day one, that for we are God's handiwork, or another translation says we are God's workmanship, or we are God's mosaic. We are God's work of art that he's forming Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, for which God prepared in advance for us to do. Why are we here on this earth? Is it just so that we can give our kids every opportunity to make sure they can play every sport and go on every great vacation? Is it just to work our career better and better so we, we have more funds to do the things we want to do? Or... Are we all here for a greater purpose? Are we here for more than just to live and die and have a little fun along the way? I believe that we are here. I believe that Ephesians tells us we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Our good works don't save us. We're saved by the good work of Jesus on the cross. But once we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we say we wanna be like Jesus. And, and, and so why are we here? We're here for good. We're here to do good. It's not just about, oh God, are we okay? Are we okay? That was, that was the old covenant. We, we made these sacrifices to make sure that God, that we're good with God. But now through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, that sacrifice has been paid once and for all. And now as followers of Jesus who put our hope and trust in him and, and trust Jesus to be our sacrifice, the propitiation of our sin, we no longer have to ask, God, are we good? We are good in Christ. And so now we, we don't, we don't worry about that vertical relationship because we're good with God and he sees us with grace and love and he looks at us like he looks at his son, Jesus. And so now we turn outwards and we say, man, we're here for good. We're created to do good works through Christ Jesus that he prepared in advance for us to do. And so I believe that each one of us, we're here to do good. We're, we're here to push back the work of the enemy and of darkness to bring hope and light and peace to our community, amen? 
That's why we're here. That's why we're here for good. That's what we're going to talk about today, next week at our night of prayer and worship. We are here for good. And I'm so excited for what God is going to do in us and through us. But with every opportunity comes obstacles. I believe we're facing a huge opportunity to go into an area that really there hasn't been any thriving churches for as long as I can remember. And I believe there's such an opportunity in these cities, in our schools that are filled with drugs and gang violence, even here in Maple Grove. There's such an opportunity because people are lost and broken. Uh, Just at this lunch on Thursday with pastors, we were talking about how just the numbers that you know, less than 25% of people who call themselves Christians attend church on a regular basis. And now uh, Gen, uh, the millennials, Gen Y and Gen Z, which is 22 and under, it's roughly about 16%, between, somewhere between 10 and 16% of that generation here in America says that they follow Jesus. That roughly 80-some percent of those 30 and under do not follow Jesus. They, they haven't seen it make a difference in the lives of their parents in their community. They've seen Christianity and politics mixed up. They've seen selfishness of, of, of pastors and leaders like me who don't care for the poor and the broken and the marginalized. And they said, I don't want that. Now we can lament and say, man, that stinks that, that people no longer have this Christian background and we're not, no longer a quote-unquote Christian nation when 80% of those under 30 no longer follow Jesus. Or we can say, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to introduce people to the real Jesus. The Jesus that says, hey, it doesn't matter what you've done or what's been done to you. You can come, you can experience grace. You can drink deep of my love. We have an opportunity. In business world, they they talk about red ocean versus blue ocean. Red ocean is, is this little small piece of the pie. And the reality is Christians are going to church less and less and less. Like I said, those who claim to follow Jesus who are committed to their church, they go to church now. It used to be 3.5 times a month. Now it's 1.1 times a month. And as a church, we could say, hey, let's try to get that small piece of the pie and get a bigger chunk of it. And, you know, all these other churches, let's, how do we steal from them and do a bigger and better show? Or the blue ocean opportunities, look at all those fish out there that aren't attending church anywhere, that aren't connected to any movement of faith, that they're just doing their thing and secretly they're dying inside because they live, feel like they're living with no purpose, no passion. They have no community. That when something goes wrong in their life, they have no one to call because business brought them to Minneapolis and they have no community. They have no family. That they're secretly struggling with addiction to pornography and alcohol and, and other prescription drugs. There's such an opportunity to bring the light of Jesus to places where it's never been before. And yes, here, even in the Twin Cities, with a phenomenal amount of churches that are doing great things, there's still huge opportunity. There's still so much need for those who are far from God. Luke 15 is one of my favorite chapters. Uh, as a church, we spent about 18 months going through the book of Luke. And uh, there's many parables where Jesus is trying to convey the heart of God. And the best known, which I camped on about two years ago when we went through this, is the story of the prodigal son, or what we call the prodigal sons, how both the older and the younger were far from their father. But earlier on, in Luke 15, is the parable of the lost sheep. And it says, it says this in 15.1, uh, 
here's the deal. We got back from Colorado Sunday night. It's been a kind of a crazy week. So I sent Josh a few of my slides, and I was like, you know what, Josh? I don't really know what I'm going to talk about on Sunday, so just roll with me. And so there's no scriptures up here. So sorry about that. Um, you got the slide. It's awesome. But you can take notes. You can pull out your own Bibles if you brought them. I know there's a few of you. Or on your smartphone. Uh, or you can just listen to me. So yeah, this week, no, no scriptures up in the slides. Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors, these are the people that no one wanted to be around. I mean, just imagine. Roman Empire, occupying forces, conquered Israel. The tax collectors are the ones that are raising money for the occupying army. <laughs> they are not popular people. <laughs> now the tax collectors and sinners, I just love that tax collectors get their own category of sin. I mean, it looks like there's all the sinners and the tax collectors. Like that's... No one works for the IRS, right? Okay, good. Just making, I didn't think so. Uh, now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, to be near Jesus. What was it about Jesus that was so attractive? <laughs> the worst, the worst that no one else wanted. None of the religious people wanted to touch were drawn to him. And the Pharisees, that's the religious leaders, and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I bet Jesus loved that. I love that Jesus was a no matter what Jesus. No matter what you've done, you're invited to dine with him. And our hope at Mosaic is that we're a no matter what church. No matter what you've done, you are welcome here. Town drunk, you're welcome here. You had an affair, you're welcome here. You cheated on your taxes, you're welcome where no matter what, that, that, that people, it doesn't matter what they've done, they're drawn to him. And, and man, the best compliment we would get is, man, anyone can go to that church. They welcome anyone. Amen? So he told them this parable. It's like a, a story. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost? Until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There are great churches in the Twin Cities. They're filled with people. We don't want to fight over those people. Those are the 99. We're going after the one. I've got four kids. Joshua was nine, Rebecca was six, Andrew was four, and little Mariah is one. A couple months ago, our fire alarms went off in the house. I, I talked about that. Woke me up in deep sleep, freaked me out. So we go outside, we get there, and if, if we had gathered everyone up and gone outside, and it wasn't, wasn't a faulty alarm, but what if it actually, the house was on fire? And I see the flames, and I see the smoke, and, and we're getting everyone out. And if we got to the curb, and I counted up, one, two, three, only three kids. What I say? Oh, that's good enough. <laughs> that's 75%. That's fine. Or would I race into that burning house? search for that lost child. If you're a parent, you would do the same thing. If one of your kids was lost, if one of your kids was trapped 
in that fight. He would go after them. And Jesus trying to share the heart of God, he says, this is what God is like. There's 99, but one has wandered away. And God doesn't just shake his head and say, well, they chose to get addicted to those drugs. They chose to be born in another country and not be an American citizen. They chose to be abused as a child. Yeah, you know what, let's, let's not worry about them. That's too messy. But God's heart is for the lost, the broken, the hurting. And what's great, I think, is that not only is this God's heart, but I think now Jesus invites us as sheep to come with him, to go on a search party for that lost sheep. A good shepherd, he goes after that sheep. And uh, that's what we're called to do is to go after those. And, and so I was thinking about shepherds a little bit this week. And we got to go down to um, folks in the family at Colorado Springs. And, and they have these awesome, awesome comic books now that are not cheesy, really cool, with different you know, Bible characters. And David's one of them. And, and so I was thinking about David as the shepherd. Becomes a king, writes all the Psalms. But, but David was this really good shepherd. And David points to Jesus. And I want to talk a little bit about David and Goliath. And this is a story that keeps popping up again and again and again in different ways. And so uh, this is one of those stories where you're like, really, Eric, David and Goliath? I've heard that like my whole life. My Sunday school teacher, Tammy, taught me that story. And, but I want to look at this story. And I want to apply that to us and, and in our lives and in our church. And, and I think there's some things that we can pull out of this story that maybe it's become so familiar that we've forgotten some of the key pieces of the story. Uh, before we dive into that, I uh, was just join me in a word of prayer. God, I thank you that you are here with us, and God, I thank you that through worship, through prayer, God, that you come in and you change things. And so God, I pray right now that you would just change us, whatever needs to happen, that you would break chains of addiction, of shame, of guilt. God, that we would know that you look at us and smile. And God, I pray that for those who maybe feel like they've, they've wandered away and they're one of, the nine, one, of the, one of the one, not the 99, God, they know that, that they're welcome here, that we're a no matter what church. And God, give us that heart. God, there are sheep who are lost. And so God, help us to go after the one. Even if it means leaving the 99. In your name we pray, amen. We've talked a lot about the story of the Bible. God creates the world, and then sin enters in, and because of the curse, things are marred and broken. And then there's covenant. And God then calls out this man, Abraham. We spent our first years at church in the book of Moses. We talked about that. The book of Genesis talked a lot about Abraham, and then Isaac, and Jacob. And God is slowly forming this family into a nation. And then through Jacob, he has his 11 sons, and Joseph gets deported off and sold into slavery in Egypt. And, and through that, then, uh, eventually the people of Israel, Israel, they end up in Egypt and they grow up into this great nation, but then they're under bondage and slavery. And one of the, the singular great events of the Old Testament is that God brings them out through the Red Sea. 
and he makes them a new nation as he leads them out of slavery into freedom. But, but they have to learn how to be a nation. That's why he gives them his, the rules and the Ten Commandments. All this stuff, hey, you've been slaves for 400 years. 400 years is a very long time. People don't know how to govern themselves. And so he's teaching them how to be a nation. And he says, I will be your king. But eventually the, the, the people say, I don't like that. We want an earthly king. We want to be like everyone else. We don't want God just you, just you to be our king. So God finally relents and gives them Saul. Tall, good-looking Saul. But Saul is filled with pride and does things his own way. And eventually, God says, I'm going to remove the kingdom from you, Saul. I'm going to raise up a new one. And in chapter 16, Samuel the prophet is near the end of his life. And God tells him, hey, I'm going to anoint a new king. And so Samuel shows up at Jesse's house. Jesse, the great-grandson of Ruth and Boaz. And Jesse has eight sons. And so Samuel shows up and he sees the oldest, he's tall and strong and strapping and good-looking. And, and Samuel says, that must be him. And God says, no, I, I don't look at the outside appearance. I look at the heart. And one by one, he goes through all the sons, and eventually they run out. And Samuel says, do you have any more kids? And, well, I got David. He's out watching the sheep. Bring him in. Bring him in. And David's probably about 17 at this time. And, 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 and David comes in, and God tells Samuel, that's, that's the future king. And he anoints him with oil. Well, David is commissioned to be king, but it's actually going to be 20 years before he ends up being king. And so he, he, he knows his purpose, and we've talked a lot of the church, a lot of times you'll feel your calling, you'll know your purpose, but there's a time of waiting between the time of anointing and when you step out in faith. So that's David, and so he has to have patience. And so he gets anointed king when nothing changes in his life. He knows his future and nothing changes right now, and so he goes back to watching the sheep. And, and what a phenomenal uh, uh, you know, management school for him as he's going to learn to lead a nation who learns to lead a flock. Well, the Philistines are kind of like the, the enemies of, of Israel and their constant war and battle and battle. I mean, if you grew up in church, you probably heard the story of David and Goliath. If you've watched sports, you've heard the metaphor of, you know, David against Goliath. And it's so much in our culture nowadays. But I just want to look at that real quick. And, and we see is that, is that these, these two armies, the Philistines and the Israelites, they lined up for battle. If you watch any old movies like, uh, you know, Troy or anything, you see the battle lines, they're lined up. And a lot of times what happens is you have a champion come out and fight another champion. And they'd stand in the gap for their people as representatives. And so Goliath is, is nine feet tall. He's like Shaq. And he steps forward and he's got his armor bearer in front of him. And the Bible says he's a huge man and he's brawny and he's this big giant. And he, and he says, hey, Send one of your men to fight me, and, and if, if I win, then you'll be our slaves. But if you win, then we'll be your slaves. And that way we don't have to have this huge battle. And this has been going on for a while. And we're going to pick up now verse 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, so they are in the army. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine Goliath came forward and took his stand morning and evening, saying his challenge. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brother's. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. So first we see here, David. He's been anointed king. 
but he's in the season of waiting. And what's he going to do when he knows he's been called to more? He's just waiting on his father's sheep. And then his dad, you know, one morning he texts him down, David's sleeping in the basement or whatever, you know, and he's like, hey, I need you to run this errand for me and take some food to your older brothers who are off in the battle lines. And what we see is that with every opportunity, there's obstacles. And one obstacle that we see is the obstacle of the ordinary. It's so easy to discount the ordinary. See, David, as a normal teenager, could have been like, oh, dad, really? I gotta go run, you know, pizza over to my brothers. Like, what? I don't wanna do this. And he's dragging his feet and doesn't wanna go, you know, and then he shows up and he's, here you go, older brothers, fine, here's your food. You know, goes back. What would have happened if David had had that attitude? He would have missed his opportunity. He would have missed his shot. He never would have even heard the challenge of Goliath. But instead, David was still faithful in the ordinary. See, obedience is necessary even in the ordinary, mundane moments. It's in the everyday parenting of, of, I'm sorry to be a little crass, but yesterday, we were eating lunch, and once again, my four-year-old's on the toilet. He's like, Dad, can you come wipe me? And I was like, oh my gosh. Someday I just want to eat a meal and I have to wipe a kid's butt. Like, come on. But it's obedience in the ordinary, just faithfulness day in and day out. It's, it's going to the Olive Garden with, with, with your spouse on Friday night because you need a date night. And it's like, I don't know where to go. We don't want to go downtown. Let's just go to the Olive Garden and eat some breadsticks. That's what we did Friday night. You know, it's, it's those everyday ordinary moments of obedience of saying, okay, we're tired. We're, come on, we're going to pray real quick in bed, because we need to do this. We need to just put the time in. It's, it's, it's that obedience in the ordinary moments. Show up in the ordinary, because you never know when God is going to present an opportunity. Here at Mosaic, we have lots of opportunities to serve in the ordinary, what seems like ordinary moments. We have people who, who show up. This morning, Mike Gilbreth, right there, only one in our setup team. He's a one-man setup team. Can you give Mike a hand? It was him. That's it. Those are the ordinary moments of showing up, but you know what? Ministry doesn't happen without the ordinary setting up the kids' rooms and, and the signs, all this stuff. It doesn't happen. We have people back there serving faithfully in their kids' rooms. That's just the ordinary obedience. But those seeds are being planted in kids' lives who are, are when they're getting scared, they're like saying, get out of here, fear. God is near. And, and, and they're growing in grace and Christ. We need to have obedience in those ordinary moments. We can't just always look for the, the big thing. We need faithfulness to stay strong. And David did that. And he went and he brought food to his brothers. Verse 19, now Saul and they and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper. He's responsible. He leaves his sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. Again, David's responsible. He's a good guy. He brought the food and supplies. He brings it to the supply master. And now he's going to go visit his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were very much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So you kill Goliath, you get to have the, the princess to marry her and no more taxes for the rest of your life. That's a good deal. 
And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. They said, So shall be done to the man who kills him. You'll get to marry the princess, you get rewards, you have no more taxes. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against his youngest brother, David. And he said, Why have you come down, little baby brother? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. You left the sheep, and you just want to see the violence, and you want to just check out the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him towards another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. Second obstacle we see for our opportunities is offense. Man, the enemy will always send another enemy to keep you distracted from the real enemy. I gotta be honest, the last couple weeks, I've got just crazy people coming out of the woodwork saying things like, hey, I've never met you, never come to your church, and uh, I don't think you have good character and your church is not a blessing to our city. What? I'm on vacation and I get these emails or, or texts or just random things. It'd be so easy to find offense in that to get worked up and, and defend myself or defend us or whatever it might be and say, you know what? This is not my real enemy. The enemy we fight is not flesh and blood, but spirits and principalities and the forces of darkness. Our enemy is not other churches. Our enemy is not even people far from God. Our enemy is Satan, the accuser, the deceiver, the powers of darkness, the principalities, our enemy is racism. Our enemy is greed. That is what we are fighting against. And it's so easy, though, that you have a family member, David, his older brother. What are you doing? He's questioning his character. He's questioning his calling. And what does David do? Does he get caught in that? Does he get in a shouting match with his big brother and then start shoving? And, you know, and then David gets upset and he takes his ball and goes home? Well, what happens? He would have missed his opportunity. He would have missed his real enemy. He would have missed why he was there. Here's the deal. A community like us, like we're gonna get on each other's nerves. I'm gonna do things that annoy you. Your neighbor's gonna do things that annoy you. Your spouse is gonna do things that annoy you. Don't look at them, don't shove them. You know, we're, we're gonna do these things. And it'd be so easy to take offense, to say, oh, why didn't that person say hi to me? Oh, why did they say this? Or, or what, or whatever it might be. Instead to say, no. We're not gonna get distracted. This isn't our enemy. We're not gonna get distracted by getting offense. No, we're, we're gonna face our true opportunity. So David turns away and he speaks to others. And when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine, 17 year old boy. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. You're only a boy. You're only a shepherd. What do you know? You're only the youngest of eight. You're only a school teacher. You're only a stay-at-home mom. You're only, what is that? I think so many times we discount ourselves because we say to ourselves, oh, I'm only this. I'm not any good at that. 
I don't have anything to offer. I, I can't sing or play guitar or I don't, I'm not good at being in front of kids or whatever it might be. What is that I'm only that has been holding you back from what God's called you to do? I'm not talking just here at Mosaic on Sunday mornings. I'm talking about what is it? What is that business that you've been thinking about launching, but, you know, I'm only, you know, the son of a carpenter, and I don't know how to do that. I'm only this. What is that step of faith that you know God has called you to take, and you've been telling yourself, well, but I'm only, I'm only John. I'm only Josiah. I'm only Brian. I, I, I couldn't do that. Who am I to think that God could use me? Who am I to think that, that God could really do that dream you put in my heart? And David, his king tells him, you you can't do this. You're only a boy. What does David do? David looks back. And he says, you know what? God's been faithful in the past. I love the story. I tell my kids. We always read out of the kids' Bible. And then I always add all the stuff they cut out. Because they cut out all the good parts. (laughs) And David's like, no, Saul. You don't understand. Yeah, I'm only a shepherd. But you know what? There was one time when a bear came. And he grabbed one of my sheep. And so what did I do? I came up and I smacked that bear in the face. And I took that sheep out of his mouth, safe and whole, and I took him back. And another time a lion did it. And I did the same thing. And David's like, you know what? If God was with me, when I stood against that lion and that bear, it just reasons to show he's going to be with me when I stand against that Goliath. Amen? And in the same way, if God has brought you through to this day, to this place, if God has brought you through things where you thought you didn't know how you're going to make it through, when that time when your relationship, when your marriage was so hard, when your depression was so thick, when your financial difficulties are so hard and God brought you through, you know what? You can stand on that in confidence that he's never failed you yet and he's not gonna start today. And and those things built up David's confidence so he could face his Goliath. Maybe right now you're facing a bear. Maybe right now you're facing a lion. But you know what? That's practice for that thing that God has for you your real enemy that you're going to take down. Man, we've been learning and practicing in, in three different schools. This has been practice. <laughs> we fought the bear. We fought the lion. Man, Oscar Senior High is going to be nothing. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, the Lord will be with you. Then Saul tried to clothe David in his armor, and it didn't fit. And you know what? So many times people are going to try to clothe you and put expectations on you that aren't going to fit. Man, I deal with this all the time. I'm just being honest. As a pastor, I feel like, man, i got to be like that guy or that guy or that guy. And when I try to wear Saul's armor, it doesn't fit. As a parent, you try to wear Saul's armor, someone else's expectations, that you try to be a parent like that person, it's not going to fit. As a spouse, in your work as a teacher, Whatever it might be, you got to be you. You got to be the person that God called you to be, not someone else. And so David said, you know what? None of this fits. None of this works. This, I, no, this can't work. So David goes to fight Goliath without a sword. The only weapon in his hand is a, is a sling. And, and he, he goes out and David goes to face Goliath and, and Goliath sees him. And, and Goliath is pretty upset to see this ruddy-faced teenage boy facing him. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. 
That's the best stuff you gotta add in when you're reading the story to your kids. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Amen? Man, gotta love David. Goliath is ticked off now. So when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. That's one thing I love that David, when he sees his true opportunity when he sees his true enemy he runs at it he doesn't pause he runs at it and right now maybe God is calling you to run at a problem to do it with energy and enthusiasm and to say you know what God I believe you're gonna be with me let's go let's do this and David ran quickly and David put his hand in his bag and put took out a stone and sling and struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground and that's where most of our kids bibles end and yeah, David defeated Goliath. Well, most likely, David stunned Goliath. And, David, and Goliath fell on his face to the ground. It says this. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, most likely stunned, and took out his sword, Goliath's sword, and drew it out of its sheath and killed him. And cut off his head with it. That's what I always add to my kids. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. David knocks down Goliath, but then David has to take that next step, and he runs towards Goliath, and he takes the sword out of Goliath's own hand, out of his own sheath, and he kills Goliath. And then he's already dead, and what does he do? He cuts off his head. Why? It's a trophy. And he lifts it up so everyone knows that God is greater and stronger. Now, I'm not saying we're going to cut off heads, okay? <laughs> but what I love is that David entered that battle with no sword in his hand, and he left carrying the sword of Goliath and the head of Goliath. Right now, if you feel like, man, I don't have the tools that, that I need to do what God's called me to do as a parent, as a son, as a daughter, as a teenager, as a student, as a spouse, in whatever job God's called me to do, Move forward in obedience, and you know what? Maybe those tools that you need are in the hand of your enemy. And God is gonna provide them miraculously to you. God is gonna meet all your needs. One of my favorite stories about this is that years and years later, David is on the run. And his son is trying to take over the kingdom. And David has to leave the palace with nothing. And he runs out with no weapons, no swords, and he shows up in this little church in the hills and he talks to the priest and he says hey I need a weapon I need something to defend myself and the guy's like oh, we have no weapons here well we have one in our trophy case you, you might remember it. It, it it was the sword that belonged to Goliath and that's what David grabs and he uses that sword to win back his kingdom how amazing that even then God knew what David would need years and years later. And, and what David took from Goliath is what he would use later when he was weaponless and defenseless. 
What is it you are facing right now? There's always obstacles to your opportunities. It's sometimes just the ordinary where we get tired of being faithful day in, day in, out, and changing diapers and feeding kids and showing up to work on time. And maybe it's, it's, it's someone offending you. Maybe it's a family member who's, it's so easy to get distracted by, by their toxicity and, and their negativity, and, and that can lead you away from your true destiny. And maybe it's the only. Maybe you're saying, man, I'm only Eric. I'm only this. What can I do? Well, I believe there's application here for our own lives. I also believe there's application here for us as a church. We are here for good. God's calling us into this next steps. I believe there's three steps for us, and then I'm gonna close. And they all start with P, because, yeah, that's how I like to roll. You don't write these down, but the, the first step is prayer. We, we need to cover this movement in prayer. I believe that our staff, our leadership has faced opposition. I believe that we've gotten arrows from the enemy. I believe that these random things that are distracting us from our real enemy is because we're moving into enemy territory. And when we clear ground where there has been no church, when we go to an area where uh, the enemy has been in charge, he doesn't like that. And so I believe we are facing opposition. And so number one, we know that the battle is the Lord, so we gotta, we gotta cover this thing in prayer. We gotta trust him because prayer does move things. And so what we're doing is we're starting today, we're kicking off 21 days of prayer. We did this in January, we're gonna do this now too. Starting today, 21 days from now, it's gonna end on Saturday the 7th, the day of the parade. And I wanna encourage you every day to join me and get up in the morning and we're gonna pray that God is with Mosaic, that God is with us, that we will make a difference, that in this fall we're gonna see lost and hurting people be found by Jesus. We're gonna baptize a number of people that kids are gonna find salvation, that our youth group is gonna grow, our kids' ministry is gonna grow. We're gonna pray for that. We're gonna cover that in 21 days of prayer. And then on that, on that parade, would you join with me? As we walk through the streets of Osseo, we're gonna partner with Cross, which is an awesome organization that, that helps out hurting families. We're gonna drive the Cross van and pull the Mosaic tra trailer. As we do that, I want us to be praying. We're gonna be praying through this, on day 21, praying through the streets of Osseo, and the parade ends at Osseo Senior High. The next day, we'll be kicking off our grand opening at Osseo Senior High. So it's pretty awesome how God worked that out. So join me in 21 days of prayer. Next Sunday, we'll be here, but then the week after, we're not gonna have any Sunday morning service. Instead, that night, like Josh said, we're gonna have uh, a night of prayer and worship in the Osseo Community Center. Let's come, let's meet, let's, let's, let's pray. Let's birth this thing in prayer. Number two, proximity. You are in proximity with people who need Jesus. We're gonna help you out. We're gonna send out 40,000 mailers to hopefully a lot of your neighbors and say, hey, come check us out. Come to Mosaic. Come join the family of God. We're also gonna give you some invite cards you can invite to your neighbor. Who are you in proximity with that needs to hear the life-changing message of Jesus and his love and grace? We're gonna have yard signs. This is why we're doing the parade. Who in these next couple weeks can you invite over your neighbors to your house to begin a relationship? Begin with prayer, listen to their story, share your story, share a meal. God has put people in proximity to you that need the love of Jesus. Let's not get distracted by all the little things. Instead, say, you know what? This person, my neighbor, is not my enemy. There's someone who needs Jesus. We all have people. I am talking to myself too. I have neighbors across the street. I, I, we have two uh, lapsed uh, uh, Muslims 
we have uh, other people who don't go to church anywhere. Man, these are my neighbors. Man, I need, I'm in proximity to them. I need to be praying for them. I need to do life with them. I need to listen to their stories and invite them to, hey, come in. And then number three, we're going to proclaim. We're going to share the gospel. We're doing this series, we're kicking off the September called Family Values. We're encouraging people, hey, you want to build a, a family that, that is aligned with the purposes of God? You need to have the right values. And, and we're going to invite people then to join the family of God, to join the family of Mosaic. We're going to invite people to get into community so they can find hope, they can find freedom. That you weren't designed to do life alone, but come be a part of our family, be part of the family of God. But in order to proclaim the gospel, we need you. We need everyone at Mosaic to be inviting, to be praying. Who are you, who are you inviting to our grand opening on the 8th? Who are you inviting to say, come with us? Here's my challenge. Who is going to say, because of you, Bradley, my marriage was changed? Because of you, Christine, my kids now have a relationship with Jesus. Who is going to say, because of you, my whole family was changed forever? Because of you, I have hope now. And I no longer live in addiction. I no longer live in shame. Man, I, I hope these next couple months, we're going to baptize a ton of people. And Josh, our worship tech director, did that phenomenal video two weeks ago, if you, if you watched it, of Jeremy and, and Kim Stuber. And I, we're going to capture these faith stories on, and testimonies on video. Who is going to say on their video testimony, because of you, because of Mike, because of Tim, my life was changed forever, and now I've been baptized, and I'm going to go public my faith in Jesus, and my life was changed forever. Who is going to say, because of you? We need you. We also, honestly, just need more resources. We want to do some things uh, to get the word out. We want to upgrade some of our kids' ministry and some of our worship stuff. And so next Sunday, we're just going to take a special offering, here for good offering. I'm just saying, hey, would you be able, to, would you consider giving over and above your regular offering, your other giving, so that we can get the word out to more people, so that we can upgrade our children's environments to make it easier on our setup team, so that kids have a better experience, so they can hear about the love of Jesus? There's some things we want to do, but we need the resources to do them. Would you consider uh, giving something over and above next week? Imagine if we all spent the next couple weeks praying for those that we are in close proximity with, people that need to hear the message of Jesus, how lives could be changed. Imagine who could say, because of you, my life was changed forever. I'm gonna invite the band to come on down. I believe we face a unique opportunity in the life of our church. I believe God wants to use us to change lives, to make a difference. I believe that each and every one of us is here for a purpose and a reason, and that's here for good. Would you join me in these next 21 days as we pray for God to change lives? Would you join me in praying for our church, for our leadership? God would multiply this movement so that more and more people would discover the love and grace of Jesus. Would you stand with me and let's join me in a word of prayer? God, I thank you that you have the victory. 
God, that you sent your son Jesus to kill the Goliath of sin and death that we all faced. God, I thank you that you are our true king. And so God, we, we wanna live in obedience to you to say that, man, it's your children we are here for good. So God, give us eyes to see the hurting and the broken. God, I pray that each and every one of us, that myself, that, that everyone in this room, God, that you would put someone in our, in our minds that we would pray for, someone that we are in proximity with that needs to hear the message of Jesus. God, that someone would say, because of you, my life was changed. God, thank you that we get to do this with you, that we get to partner with you to see lives change forever. God, thank you for what you've, you've done in the life of our church these last four years, and God, what are you gonna continue to do? God, we just pray that we'd be a source of light and hope and goodness in this world. Thank you, God, for your love and grace that we don't have to worry. Are, are we good, God? But you are a loving Father. So God, now we pray that our heart would be for that one, the sheep that is, is wandered away. And that God, then when, when that sheep is found, that we would rejoice with singing. God, I pray for dozens of baptisms to happen this next year that lost sheep would be found by you, that we would celebrate so much because lives were changed. Because we did not get tripped up by these obstacles, but we faced the opportunity in front of us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, we're gonna receive an offering now, and uh, as we do our closing song, this is a way to say, it's a way to worship God and to give back. So we just want to say thank you so much for giving. Uh, because of your sacrifices, we're able to do church. We're able to have um, the great kids rooms that we do have and, and the resources that we have. So we say thank you for that. Um, if you're a first-time guest, you can just drop off that connection card in the offering. And we just love to say, hey, thanks for being here. We just want to respond by sending you a card. Say, hey, thanks for anything we can do to help you out in your spiritual journey. May you know that, that you are not just only whatever it might be that God has called you, that God has saved you and redeemed you for a purpose. Let's go out of here singing and celebrating what God has done in our lives.